Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Classroom 33 podcast. I'm Pastor Dustin, and Steve Prudian is here with me. And uh, today, today we're going to dive into the book of Ecclesiastes. We touched on it a little bit last week, so if you missed that, go back and listen to next week's, and uh, you'll hear us talking about the very end of the book of Ecclesiastes, which, quite frankly, is my favorite part to start in the book. But uh, anyway, Steve, how are you doing this week? Today's an interesting week. You know how the Bible says that you have trials and troubles? Yeah. Well, I got a refrigerator in one of my places that went out and a repair me. I can't be there until the 7th of July. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Right? So that that's an interesting thing. And then I have a van that I've never, ever had do this, but every single light on the dashboard came on yesterday. Really? Every single warning light came on yesterday. Wow. And I parked it at a garage because I says, I've never seen this before. Uh-huh. And I says, and I don't want to try to test it. Yeah, I don't blame you there. Right. Don't blame me at all there. Yeah, my, uh, my, my natural inclination was, as I got a short somewhere, that's made this whole thing light up. That would probably be where I would lean as well. And I says, and, and, I says and I says, if it makes a whole dashboard light up, I don't even want to begin to try to look for where the problem is. No, that's buried somewhere you don't want to go, I'm sure. I don't think anybody wants to go there. Makes it a little bit better when you're getting paid to do it, I'm sure. Well, I'm waiting for the diagnosis. Yep. All right. Anyway, but I'm happy to be here today and share the book of Ecclesiastes with the people that are listening who really don't have either not read it or never understood what they read or haven't paid attention to what it's about. Yeah, this book is, uh, it's an interesting one, a lot like Job that we had just gone through, a significant amount of it anyways. Um, Ecclesiastes is one that I've heard a lot of people kind of glance over or skip altogether. They skim across it um, because it's not really fun to read. Did you know that a lot of popular biblical or church sayings comes out of the book of Ecclesiastes? Oh, yeah. And if we go through it, I will highlight each one of those sayings, and you'll say, I've heard that before. Yep. Because people yeah, are still saying, well. people are still saying those same ideas, even some of the same words today. Right. How but many? they have no idea where it came from. How often have you heard, well, there's a time for everything. Uh-huh. And if you didn't know, that comes out of Ecclesiastes. That's right. Seasons. Yep. There's a season unto everything. Yeah, it's uh, it's really a good book. It really is a good book, and uh, it's one of my favorites. You want to give us, uh, how did it come about? How did Ecclesiastes come about? Oh, gosh. Ecclesiastes is, uh, it's from Solomon, is where we get it. Ecclesiastes ultimately is written by Solomon. And who's Solomon? 
Solomon is the third king of Israel after David. And what is he noted for? He's noted for wisdom. And if you uh, if you don't know the story, um, Solomon gave a great sacrifice to God that was very pleasing to God. And so God gave Solomon an opportunity to ask God for whatever he wanted, and it would be granted to him. And Solomon, being just a little bit wise at the time, said, you know what, God, I want to be a good king, so make me wise. And God was very happy with that because Solomon could have asked for riches, he could have asked for power, could have asked for fame, but he asked for wisdom. And so God granted Solomon a great and wonderful wisdom. And at the same time, he also granted him fame and power and riches. And so Solomon is and was and will always remain, at least until Jesus comes back, the most wise ruler. And he was also known for something else. He was known for He was the richest man on earth. The richest man on earth. And there is no one since since him, even today, that has more than what he had. Right. Adjusted for inflation, he had more money than everybody. Um, But he was also known to, especially later in his life, he kind of... He kind of turned his back on God. He did some things that were ungodly. Well, we should explain how that happened. Well. Ever hear of the expression idle hands? Yes. What happens with idle hands? They become the devil's plaything. What happened when David didn't go out to war and he decided to be idle? He saw Bathsheba. It's called Solomon. <laughs> <laughs> Solomon is the is the son of David and Bathsheba. The second son. Second son. Yes. That's right. Yep. Okay. So what's good for the father passes on to the son. Ah, uh, yes. Some of those sins are generational and very tough to break. Mm-hmm. Um, what else do you know about Solomon? There's something a lot of people don't recognize or they or they've even heard about as far as Solomon's kingship. And what's that? He wasn't in line to be the king. No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. And in fact... Not in, not next in line anyways. Right. In fact, the one who was David's favorite, mm-hmm. which wasn't Solomon, right. he could have been king, except he wanted it when he wanted it, and he threatened his father for it. And... He lost and, it. And ended up... Ended up no longer in line. Yeah, he Um, he ended up just being hung up. Well, and one of the things um, Solomon does ultimately choose God. We know that from reading the book of Ecclesiastes especially. Mm -hmm. We do know that Solomon sees where all of this worldly stuff has gotten him. And ultimately does go back to worshiping God. And one of the other interesting things that uh, is often overlooked outside of 
theological study is that Solomon is the last king of a united, unified Israel. That's exactly right. So there's a lot of stuff that's going on with Solomon. This Solomon is also credited and famous for fulfilling a dream that his father had, which is central core to the Jewish faith. And what was that, Dustin? Solomon built the temple. Solomon built David's temple. Yes, he did. Unto the Lord. Yep. And long after Solomon, the temple still stood. It did. It did. Until when? Until Babylon came and tore it down. And then what happened? Was Israel done? Nope. Nope. It was rebuilt. It was rebuilt. And then what happened? Rome tore it down. It got torn down again. Okay. Yeah. However, will it be rebuilt? Sort of. It has to be rebuilt in order to fulfill prophecy. Right. Right. I'm sorry. I was thinking beyond that when the new heaven and the new earth and no, there's no. Is, is, the, new, the, the new, new Jerusalem heaven. doesn't have a temple. It's got a throne at the head of the stream where the water comes from, and we don't need to get into all of that right now. But the Antichrist desecrates the temple. Yes, he does. So there has to be a temple. So there has to be a temple. Right. You are right. You are right. In fact, the peace treaty that he forms with the Israel nation allows them to build that temple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you know that the Antichrist is not a respecter of anyone's faith? Oh, yeah. Every, all faiths under the Antichrist are totally abolished, outlawed. Illegal. Right, because you have to worship him. That he has become the replacement to God. Mm-hmm. There is only one and only, was one and one and only faith. And you know what? Try to think about trying to reconcile with all the different faiths that there are in the world today. Which one will be the winner? None of them can be. No. Because there'll be division if any one of them is declared the winner of the state religion. So there has to be a totally different new religion devoid of all the other religions, but incorporating some of the best practices of all other religions. In other words, give the people what's popular. Right. And then they won't complain. Well, and that's part of the reason the church won't be there for it. Exactly right. Because if the if the church is still around at that time, at least in the numbers that it is right now, um, and with the history and the tradition that the church has, that that would prohibit that from happening. Well, the Word of God says the only thing that holds back the fury of Satan is the power of the Holy Spirit in this world. Right. But there will come a time where the Holy Spirit will be taken out of this world, and then Satan is let loose. Yep. And therefore we have the four horsemen. All right. Well, I think we skipped ahead a little bit. We did, (laughs) as we We always do. (laughs) (laughs) We've skipped ahead to the book of Revelation, or maybe to the (laughs) prophet Zechariah, Ezekiel, somewhere in there. Anyways, um, so so Ecclesiastes, 
is is a book that one of the reasons I like it is it's very existential. Solomon is in these words he is examining why why do we exist? Why do we do the things that we do? What has value? What doesn't have value? He still has the wisdom, right? God doesn't take that wisdom away from him when he screws up. God gives a gift and it's a gift. And so Solomon still has his wisdom and he looks at everything that he's done, everything that he's tried, and he's trying to really quantify the meaning of life. And I think in that way, it's a really important book to read and to understand because we all come to those moments in our life. We all come to those moments and we go, God, why? Why am I here? Why did you put me here to go through this? Why did you give me this just to take it away? Why, why did this bad thing happen? We all ask those questions. And Job answers them in a little bit different way than Ecclesiastes does. Um, and quite frankly, I think Ecclesiastes is a little bit more direct and a little bit easier to understand if you're not just skimming over it. If you stop and if you digest the words that are there. So that's one of the reasons why I really like it. And let's, uh, let's jump in. Do you know Solomon reminds me of some people that I've known in the past. Solomon, he asked for wisdom. Yes, he did. But have you ever heard the expression that some people are too smart for their own good? I have. Solomon fits into one of those people, okay, that he was too smart for his own good. Right. Solomon, being the son of David, was more than likely raised in the Jewish church of that day. Oh, absolutely. So it isn't that Solomon did not know the laws, the commandments, and the ways of his faith. He did. He did, which is why he made the sacrifice when the temple was finished and why God was pleased with that and rewarded him such. The other thing that I find interesting about Solomon is, is, is that Solomon didn't ask for riches, wealth, or fame, or power, but he did get that. Yes, he did. But he got that because of the one thing that God did honor, which was the ability to acquire all of that through wisdom. Right. It's kind of a paradox that the wisest man mm -hmm. who ever lived with the help of God chose the path of a fool. He did. He chose the path of a fool, a wise man who became a fool. Mm-hmm. How strange that is. Most of us go through life as fools, seeking wisdom, 
so we can be fools no more. Right. And the only way we can find the wisdom that will pull us out of our foolishness, pull us out of our own will and our own way, is the saving power of Jesus Christ. Because what Jesus does is Jesus basically transfuses us, transforms us, Mm -hmm. takes the foolishness out of us and replaces it with his will, his wisdom, his ways. And then he gives us Mm -hmm. a choice. What are you going to go? Where are you going to go from here? What are you going to do? You're going to bury what I gave you away and ignore it? Or are you going to plant it and let it grow? Right. Okay, so Ecclesiastes is here to remind us of the many ways that we either have been fools or that we can become fools, Mm -hmm. whether we know it or not. Right. When I looked at Ecclesiastes, I read Ecclesiastes and... Believe it or not, my generational relationships were jumping off the page at me. Really? Yeah, because as I was reading it, I saw cousins, siblings, grandparents, Mm -hmm. uncles, great-grandparents, and I got to see all of this foolishness played out in my family. Those that were rich and those that were poor. Those that were drunkards and those that were commanders of armies. Right. Okay? And I saw all the different personalities to understand that all of the success that they thought they had in this life means nothing today. And in fact, you could say they went to their graves with the name Fool. Right. So then I say, where am I in the book of Ecclesiastes? And you know where you and I are, Dustin, in the book of Ecclesiastes? Where are we? We are forewarned. (laughs) No doubt. We are forewarned, okay, on what is foolish to God. My question is, is when I look at Solomon, is how can a guy who's so smart be so stupid and I found out why he got stupid he didn't set out to get stupid did you know that I do know that most of us want to actually learn more okay in Solomon in his learning his learning led him to a mistake that was popular amongst kings at his time he was doing what was classified as listen to this one politically correct yep the political correct thing that he did was as he thought that if he would if he would marry daughters of other kingdoms yep he wouldn't have an enemy on his borders or an enemy that would align with another enemy So what Solomon did is he compromised. In the beginning of foolishness is to what? Compromise. Do something you're not supposed to do, no matter how good the reason. Compromise your values. Right. Right. And can you tell me, 
what happened when Solomon married all of these foreign women? Well, I mean, first of all, it's a sin. Um, but he ultimately becomes so divided in himself. He becomes his own enemy. He just. What do you do when you take on a new wife? You try to please her. Right. And what what happens if your wife says, well, I, I'll be your wife, but I'm bringing my gods with me because those are the gods that I worship. What does a guy do to please his wife? Well, I suppose he'd let her. He let her, but oftentimes he'll participate with her. Right. Okay? It's called appeasement. Yeah. Pacification. Right. Okay? Sometimes a guy just can't say no. And Even so, when he should. And so the more he did that, the more diluted, mm-hmm. and subsequently the more polluted yep. the faith of Israel became. Right. To the point where Solomon forgot his true faith before God. Right. Until he was old. And then he looks back in hindsight, long after he wrote Proverbs, and he says, now I'm going to tell you what I really learned. Yep. And yeah. this is Ecclesiastes. Right. Right. And that's where, that's where we touched on it last week. Remember the God of your youth. I find that um, Solomon uses a lot of double contrast. He does. And like, even when he talks about um, um, there's a time for everything, okay? Yep. I find that he starts with, he starts with an unpleasantry, a hardship, a difficulty. Right. And then he counters it, okay, with the promise, with the blessing. Almost in every category. And you're looking at, I think that would be in chapter 2, I believe, or chapter 3. Chapter 3 is the chapter time three. for everything. Yeah, yeah. Chapter 3. And so I sit and I say, that. okay, do I think when I pray or when I'm talking to the Lord, I don't know if you do or not, do I go back and I say, because of what you have done, okay, you have rescued or saved me from what I have done. He's taken the negative mm-hmm. and he's replaced it with himself, the positive. Right. And so when I read all of these things, okay, I look at these things and I says, when, did, when was I like that and what did Jesus do? Not what did Steve do. When I, when, when I was like the first problem, the problem, right? Okay, or the condition. Yep. Okay, how did I end up? What did Jesus do? And what that told me is this, okay? I can still screw up, and I will screw up today. So right. Jesus can teach me a new truth. Amen. Okay, and it's a new nugget, okay? It's like holding a basket full of nuggets because every time I learn something that Jesus wants to teach me, right. okay? It isn't like I'm learning it to be disciplined. I'm actually learning it to be rewarded. Right. Because I've changed my focus. 
Right. I've changed my value. I've changed my sight. And that's available for everybody. Right. But it's in Ezekiel. Not Ezekiel. It's in Ecclesiastes. Right. And the thing is, is, is that most people can read that. Oh, that's nice. Okay. They just read right through it and don't contemplate. Okay. A time to plant. That's hard work. It is hard work. But that leads to a time of harvest. Yes, it does. And a harvest represents what? More than your hard work. Mm-hmm. You got back multiple times more than the effort you put in. Yes, you did. Did you do it? Nope. You didn't do it. And if you go down through all of these, okay, give credit to where credit belongs. Yep. So I look at Solomon and I say, you know, I think he's finally getting it. He may be older. I says, but his hindsight, okay, is good. So the man who who was too smart for his own good right, had to finally humble himself. And the book of Ecclesiastes is the book of humble beginnings. Yes, it is. Very much is. Mm-hmm. So... I don't know if I mentioned it before to to the people that are listening, that you will find as you go through Ecclesiastes a lot of nuggets of truth that we hold on to today without even realizing that their source comes from this particular book. Yes. But ultimately, whose ideas are the wise ideas? God's. God. Yep. So this person, the reason this book is in the Bible. This is because you have to understand it's God revealing truth to a man who thought he was smart to admit that he is a fool. Right. Well, we've all been teenagers, and therefore we've all at one point in our our lives known everything. I know that because I remember being a teenager and knowing everything. I also have two teenagers in my house right now. Turns out they know everything. Um, I didn't have that luxury. <laughs> I had I had the general orders of the day, every day, the duties of the day, every day. I knew what I could say. I know what I couldn't say. And I knew the order that they had to be set in. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, that's not... That's not what I grew up with. Um, now, you probably grew up as a free kid. <laughs> That's a way to put it. Um, so for anybody out there who has ever known everything, Ecclesiastes is a great book. And it's going to help. And I think I've said it on here before. I know I've told you just outside of this, but... Um, there's a practice that some people do instead of doing a New Year's resolution. They come up with a word and focus mm-hmm. on that word for their for their year. And my word for the year this year is cultivate. And I gave you a book about that. You did give me a book about that, <laughs> a very good book about that. Um, but the purpose of cultivation. It's an agricultural term, and you remove 
what you don't want from around the root of the plant so that the plant can grow and produce better fruit. And so if you out there listening, like me, have come to a point where you can see some things, or maybe you don't even see them, you just know that there's things in your life that need to be shifted off of your focus so that you can better focus on God, start in Ecclesiastes. It's a great place to start. You will not get through chapter four or five without finding something, if not many things, that can be pruned. It's interesting you use a farming or a gardening term. Okay. Now, I don't want people to laugh because some people are ignorant who grew up in a world of cement. Right. I grew up in that world called the city of cement. Yep. But my wife, she's a farm girl. Mm-hmm. And she has had gardens ever since we've lived here, not in the city, of course. We couldn't have gardens in the city. Right. We could have, but it wouldn't. the, the soil wouldn't have supported any growth. But... Um, my wife has a garden, and um, she uses that word cultivate. Yep. Now, don't laugh when I say this. I didn't know what that word meant from a gardening term. Really? Yeah. I looked at the word cultivate from a business term, which has a different meaning than the garden term. Yes, it does. Okay. So... My wife one day, she said to me, she said, I got to go out to my garden and I got to cultivate. I says, I thought your garden is planted already. I says, why do you have to cultivate if it's already planted? And she looked at me and she says, you don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I says, you know, I guess maybe not in the same way. She says, she says I got to pull the weed. She says, that's cultivation from around the plant. She says, so it doesn't choke the plant and take away its nutrients. She says, then she says, I can't stop there. She says, then I have to make sure that the plant is getting enough water. Mm -hmm. She says, that's part of cultivation. And she says, and periodically, she says, I give it some fertilizer. She says, that's part of cultivation. And being a city boy, I'm saying, this is too much work. Right. I says, for what? I said, where I come from, you don't have to do any of that. You just run down to the market or the grocery store and the stuff sitting on the shelf for you. Yeah. No weeds. Okay, no water. No yep. fertilizer. Just money. <laughs> uh-huh. So my wife says to me, she says, you know, she says, there's a value in gardening. And I says, and what's that value? And she says, it brings you closer to understanding the handiwork of God. Mm-hmm. So she says that, and I think about that. Do we cultivate our own lives on a regular basis? Are we seeing the weeds and removing them? Are we make sure that our lives are being watered with the word? Well, obviously, I don't cultivate regularly because I'm focusing on it specifically this year. Right. And that's, I mean, that's part of the process is to build the habit of cultivation so that cultivation becomes a normal part of the routine. And then next year, whatever word 
you just build on that. And it's, it's part of a spiritual discipline process. Um, but I would say that many of us, most of us, are not regularly cultivating. You want to know what will cause a state of shock to a person who cultivates the right way? What's that? I grabbed the bottle of Roundup. I'll say, I'll take care of those weeds for you. That she had work. to get. She had to get down and pick them out. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna say, I ain't getting down. Pick them. I'm just gonna shoot them. But you're gonna kill the plant. Who would think of a thing like that? Somebody so, who's done it. <laughs> somet- <laughs> sometimes there's the right method to cultivation, yep. and sometimes there's the wrong method to cultivation. And all too often, even with Christians, mm-hmm. they will cultivate the wrong way. They'll take right. the easy way, and they'll end up with nothing. Yep. Well, let's let's start our journey okay. into Ecclesiastes. We've been talking about it for a while. Let's uh, let's reach into the first chapter here, if that's where you want to start, or if you well, had a different I ha- spot I have, to start. I have specific verses that I've highlighted. Okay. Okay, because we really can't do a verse-by-verse in Ecclesiastes, but I got some highlights, and I'm going. To, I'll read those that portion or that verse, okay, for something to meditate, dwell, think upon, try to draw out the truth, okay, of okay. why this saying is in this word. Here's okay, it. so where are we starting then? I am in. I am in. Um, I turned the page to go find. It was on three, so I'm one page over too far. Ecclesiastes, chapter 1. This is in between verses 8 and 11. Okay. And Solomon says, this is out of the Living Bible, okay? Solomon says, no matter how much we see, Mm -hmm. we are never satisfied. Right. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. Mm-hmm. I sat and I thought about that, and I said, there are some nicer homes and nicer cars, nicer toys. I guess I shouldn't be satisfied with what I have. I shouldn't be satisfied because there, yeah, there is better out there. Sure okay. there is. But this verse says no matter, okay, yep. how much we see, we're never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. Right. Which of the Ten Commandments does that reflect to? I says, oh, I says, that, that I, I says, I've seen this before. I said, that's one of the Ten Commandments. Yes, it is. Which Ten Command? Which of the commandments does that relate to? Thou shalt not... Covet. Covet, right. Exactly. Okay. The next one that I found interesting is between verses uh, 12 and 15 in chapter 1. Okay. And Solomon says this. He says, I discovered... That the lot of man, which God has dwelt on him, is not a happy one. Hmm. 
I said, wait a minute. I says, I thought if um, you believe in God, you're going to be happy. That's wouldn't not you, true. Wouldn't you think you're going to be happy if you believe in God? Mm-hmm. If you're happy and you know it? <laughs> yeah. That song's misleading. And if you know the history, you just simply know that's not true. And there's a difference between happiness and joy. And joy, in a lot of ways, joy is similar or even synonymous to contentment. But happiness never is. Because happiness is an emotion. It's something that we're affected by one thing and that makes us happy. Happenings. And then something else happens that can make us unhappy. And so it's an, happiness is an emotion. Happy is an emotion. Joy is a posture. This particular verse Mm -hmm. took me back in the Bible. Yep. All the way to Genesis. Okay. And you know the reason why this verse cannot be true? Why is that? Because God said to Adam, since you had everything and it wasn't enough, Mm -hmm. now you're going to have to work all the days of your life Mm -hmm. toiling. Yep. And you know what? Nobody's happy about that. Yeah. Okay? We want the freebies from God, but we don't have to want to follow what he wants us to do, which is work. Because when we are given things that we don't appreciate, we never say thank you to God. Right. So, if I read that verse back to you in light of what I just told you, and this takes the wisest guy in the world to say, I discovered that the lot of man which God has dealt which God has dealt to him is not a happy one. Right. The answer is you gotta go to work. Get to work. You gotta go to work. Okay? Yep. It's interesting that when you have kids in trying to teach a child the necessity of work. Mm-hmm. What is lacking with a child's understanding? All sorts of things. But they don't understand. They don't understand the need to work. It hasn't become a value. Right. And the problem today is, is why people won't work. It's just actually dis- being disobedient to God. It's dishonoring right. God. But the fact is is that they're not honoring God's command to man for man's own good. Right. Right. I would go ahead and I would agree with that. Now, I do want to offer some encouragement to parents out there because getting your children to do their chores can be exceedingly difficult. And... uh, The reality is kids doing the chores, the household chores, doesn't actually make less work for the parents. It just shifts the responsibility 
a little bit. And basically, as a parent, my chore isn't to do the dishes. My chore is to make sure my child, who's assigned the chore of doing the dishes, does the dishes. So don't despair because your child needs constant reminders. That's part of your work as parent. And believe me, I am not perfect at this. I get frustrated. I get upset. I'm preaching to myself right now. But that's just the way it is. Our chore as parents is to make sure our kids do their chores. Because in the end, that makes us all better. It's interesting that um, the Bible has a central teaching that says, train or raise up a child. Yep. Okay? In the ways of the Lord. Yes. So when he becomes older, he won't depart from them. Mm -hmm. Part of the ways of the Lord is to work diligently unto the Lord. And yes. that's what a parent should be training. But he utilizes the things within his own hand to train up a child to be responsible. Right. Because if a child is not responsible, what do they become? A fool. Irresponsible. Right. A fool. A bum. A dependent. Ooh. Forever. <laughs> so... There's even wisdom, okay, in what Solomon has to say that goes all the way back to being a child. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. In uh, chapter 2, I only have a few highlights. I don't know. I think, Dustin, that if we want to continue with this, we can continue with this on an ongoing basis. Sure. Okay? So you tell me how much more time you think we would like to spend here. Well, we're at about 46 minutes right now. Okay, we so should finish in a couple of minutes then. We should probably finish up. Okay. Let's let's do one more. Just one I, out of Chapter 2. Chap all right, the first one in Chapter 2. It's not going to go away, okay? It's been around this many years, okay? It hasn't run away yet, okay? You just have to be able to open to the page and read it yourself. Right. Okay. The next thing that I looked at that caught my attention is this. Uh, one of these days I'll be writing a paper on this, but not until I get a release from the Holy Spirit on what it is that he wants to say in the paper. And usually <laughs> I'm surprised after I get done writing it. Fair enough. I think that many a prophet who wrote down what the Holy Spirit led them to say, they don't know what they were writing until they actually write it themselves. That's entirely possible. And then they says, oh, I'm going to catch a lot of flack for this. Yep, I have on uh, one or two occasions in my life been given a prophetic word, and uh, it was for a specific person. I don't even remember what was said. No, you don't even remember doing it? Uh, vaguely remember vaguely. doing it. Vaguely remember doing it. Absolutely no recollection of what was said, even even two minutes after the conversation ended. But mm -hmm. anyways. Oh, it's anyways. interesting that you mention that, okay? Because... Um, my wife and I had this discussion, very deep discussion yesterday. Okay. Okay, on what the root word of worship means and all of the different forms of worship that are found in the Word of God. Interesting. And the names of those types of worship. Uh-huh. And so we were working through that yesterday, mm -hmm. and I think she was going to teach that to the gals 
either today or sometime very soon. And yep. I says, you know what? I says, I didn't know some of those things existed. Right. Right. Okay, here's the last one out of right. chapter 2, okay? Chapter 2, verse 3b, actually. Next, I changed my course again and followed the path of folly. Mm-hmm. so that I could experience the only happiness that most men have throughout their lives. What is the happiness called that most men have throughout their lives? I don't know. It's called folly. They're just fooling themselves. Yep. Okay, Whatever it is that they try to do to make themselves happy is only temporary. It's not lasting. Right. It's not rewarding. It may be pleasurable. And the Word of God says that there is pleasure in sin for a season. So Solomon is really using his wisdom to try and understand folly. Yes. He's, he's, actu- he's, try- he's trying to use the extreme and awesome wisdom that God has given him to understand what it's like to have none. Well, he's retrospective at this point. He is, but he is, it's not just for him, though, because even with all of his wisdom, he's acted as if he's had no wisdom whatsoever. So he's using all the wisdom that God gave him to try to better understand how having no wisdom affects us. I can tell you something that's interesting about this book. What's that? All Scripture yes. is given by God. inspiration yep. by God. What we're reading today that Solomon wrote, okay, 934 years before Christ, mm-hmm. okay, is inspired by the same Holy Spirit that lives today. Yes. Okay? And the truths that applied then applied now, because God's truth is everlasting. Yes. Yes, it is. Absolutely, it is. All right, Steve. We don't have anything for a, for a sneak peek for next week. We're, Fourth of July. We're not it, here. It's Fourth of July. We're not here. So there won't be an episode next week. Uh, Keep in tune. Uh, there will be again the week after, yes. and uh, I think we're going to continue on until your vacation. Until my vacation, we're, we'll continue on down the road of Ecclesiastes and uh, see where God takes us. We may be taking Ecclesiastes into the Sunday school room this fall. We might. That's the, when I when I have a clearer vision of what it is that needs to be said. Right. Right. Well, it's twelve chapters, so it might take us. 18 episodes to get through. (laughs) Whatever it it takes. Whatever it takes. That's exactly right. I didn't write it. I'm just reporting on it. (laughs) Yep. Exactly. All right. So thank you very much, Steve, for coming in. Thank you, Dustin. Bye now.